Hello, 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 everybody. Thank you guys for coming back and tuning in. Uh, I'm Mark Supreme. And I'm Chris Kerrigard. Welcome to the State of Peoria, brought to you by State Farm Agent Aaron Kilgore, located at 3805 North Sterling Avenue, where he specializes in car insurance, home insurance, and life insurance, and now investments. He's the best in the business, and you can make him work for you by calling 309-685-7111. This is our ninth installment. It's been nine already. It's our ninth installment of the collaboration between Strictly Hip Hop, 90.7 FM, and the Peoria Journal Star interview series that's all about uh, politics and all about the P. And we have an exciting one tonight for a hotly contested third district seat between two people who have city council experience. Incumbent Councilman Tim Riggenbach is seeking a third re-election to the council, uh, having first been elected in 2009. And he is challenged by Gail Thetford, who previously sat on the council at the end of the 1990s into the 2000s. And Gail is a incumbent trustee on the Illinois Central College Board. So, Tim, Gail, thank you both for being here with us tonight. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, uh, we will start with uh, Councilman Tim Riggenbach uh, with a quick introduction. Also, not only who is Tim Riggenbach, but for the people that are watching that may not know, where the heck is District 3? All right. Well, I am Tim Riggenbach, and I am a husband, a father to five, and a longtime resident of Peoria. District 3 starts at OSF and runs all the way to the, on the east side of Knoxville up to the Holly Hills neighborhood, just short of Mount Holly Country Club. At War Memorial, it jogs over to University, so it also includes the Knowles, Knollcrest, Borndale, Glencrest, and Northmore Hills. So it's a very diverse district, including Grandview Drive, Galena Road, and um, yeah. It's a lot of territory. Okay. Then, to well, I was going to say, and why why are you running or seeking re-election for District 3? I'm running for re-election because I think we've done a lot of things that have really helped the 3rd District in the last 12 years. If you look at my commitment to the neighborhoods, for instance, we have put together a housing rehab program in the East Bluff that allows residents to qualify for a matching grant. So if you have a $10,000 roof to put on, um, we can you can qualify for a $5,000 grant. Since this program has been available, we have made over a half million dollars available and about a hundred people have applied for it so far. We've also made improvements in our neighborhoods. We put in sidewalks along New York Avenue by the East Bluff Community Center along Mount Holly Road to get the kids to Keller School safely and on Giles Lane so that there's access to the um, Rock Island Greenway. We've worked with the Park District and the county and put in a back entrance to Donovan Park so the western neighborhoods on the west side of Sheridan can access that. I led the efforts to help revitalize Midtown Plaza that had been sitting empty for over 10 years We've got um, partnerships going with all kinds of organizations. OSF's putting in a comprehensive cancer center on the downtown campus. We have small businesses. Um, Chef and the Baker comes to mind as one of our premier um, locally owned restaurants. We've got um, natural fiber welding, which is an amazing state-of-the-art business on Galena Road. 
I've also been very concerned about safety and, and making our neighborhoods an exciting place and a safe place to live. Our residential police officer program has continued to grow. We have the police resource center at Wisconsin Plaza. We have ongoing relationships with the Boys and Girls Club, with Lawn and Order, with the Dream Center, with organizations that are helping provide things for our kids to do. It's really exciting to see what we've accomplished. And I think working together, we'll be able to do a lot more in the next four years. Thank you, Councilman. And I'll throw my light on real quick. This is different because, you know, Chris, every time we start these, it's uh, since January it gets dark around this time, we still got a little bit of light. So that's, it's nice to see this time. Uh, going on to uh, Ms. Gelt-Effort, why are you running for District 3 and who is Gelt-Effort? Well, thank you. Um, I am a uh, semi-retired attorney. I specialized in the area of elder law and nursing home abuse and Medicare and Medicaid issues. Um, I currently serve on the Illinois, uh, uh, Illinois Central College Board of Trustees. I also serve on Heartland Health Services Board. I'm a, a board member and an officer. And I also serve on Cornstock Theaters Board. Uh, I have uh, I haven't really talked very much about my family. I <laughs> I have two sons. Uh, I'm blessed with two sons. One of whom, uh, Nathan, lives here in Peoria uh, and has blessed me with uh, Little Miss five-year-old Hazel, who's been out busily helping me put out yard signs along with other things. Um, and I also, my younger son is Stuart. Uh, who was uh, co-valedictorian of Peoria Notre Dame High School in 2004 and is currently uh, a litigation attorney in Washington, D.C. So I do have a family uh, of which I am very proud. So um, I, as far as why I'm running, I'm, I'm running again because I'm concerned about the trajectory that I see that the city and the third district is moving in. Um, in. In my discussions and conversations with people of the third district specifically, they're very concerned about uh, their police and fire protection specifically. They're concerned about the loss of many public services. Uh, and they're very, very concerned about the the raises in property taxes and the imposition of fees that have occurred over the last 10 years in particular. So I, um, I, I you know, I, I think I have a different philosophy um, than, the, than the incumbent. I can proudly say that when I previously served on the city council for eight years, um, we never increased the property tax rate. In fact, two years, we decreased the property tax rate. There are a number of things that, that um, were mentioned as, as far as accomplishments, and, and I'm, I'm, certainly, uh, I'm certainly cognizant that, of the fact that there have been accomplishments. I would like to point out on a few of them that uh, um, uh, I actually also played a role in the revitalization of Midtown Plaza in my role currently as a board member of Heartland Health Services, because Heartland is the entity that's partnering with OSF with respect to that facility. Also, uh, I played a role as well in the establishment of the Police Resource Center at Wisconsin Plaza, because 
it's uh, I was one of the board members that was very supportive of Heartland purchasing Wisconsin Plaza after the departure of Kroger Food. And we initially talked about the possibility of a substation. Instead, we now have a police resource center. And in many respects, that's possibly a better a better fit for the neighborhood. Um, I I would dispute the fact that um, that there's been an increased emphasis on safety, public safety, in the last few years. Um, I, I recently put out some information about a reduction in police and firefighter positions. I've actually been advised that my numbers as far as the firefighter positions were were actually wrong in that they weren't big enough. Um, I've actually been advised that since 2018, 35 firefighter positions have been eliminated uh, and 11 more were anticipated, but, but an agreement was reached between the firefighters and the city with respect to an unfair labor practice. So, okay, so now that's that's way too long. I promised I wasn't going to go on and on, so I'm going to stop right there. Thank you. No problem at all. Thank you uh, for the introduction. And I'll stay with you real quick before we get to Chris and some more questions that he has. And by all means, everybody that's watching, if you have any questions, please jump in the comments and we'll definitely address those here momentarily. But you alluded to the fact that you were already on council before uh, served two terms. What do you bring to the council that's different this time around versus the last time you were, in, uh, you were in, in office? You know, I think that's a really good question. Um, besides just the fact that I'm a little older and maybe a little wiser, actually, I think I'm a lot wiser. I mean, I think that one of the things that's happened to me personally since I was on the council before is I've had an opportunity to serve on some other boards work with other individuals uh, in developing consensus, uh, worked on other budgets. I have found out, uh, you know, as a result of that work, that frequently um, management, regardless of whether you're talking about a city or a board, their first, their first um, step in addressing any sort of fiscal issues is somehow you know, raising a tax, imposing a fee, increasing tuition, what eliminating jobs, what have you. And as a result of that work on other boards, I've, I've since learned that uh, that's frequently the easy way because that's something very simple for management to propose and, and, and to suggest that that's really the only option. There actually are frequently other options. So I bring more knowledge about budgeting, about addressing problems than, um, than I previously had. So I, I tell people, you know, I wasn't perfect, but I was a pretty good councilwoman, and I think I would be a better one now. Okay, and we're gonna get to some of these things with Chris, but I'll shoot to you, Councilman. What do you think is the most important issue facing District 3? Wow. There's District the 3, most, I'm sorry? The most, single most. The important. most important issue probably remains making sure people feel safe in their neighborhoods. As whether you're talking about people in the East Bluff or people in the Knolls, 
that's that's the overriding concern that people want to make sure that they're safe in their neighborhoods. And, you know, when our girls were little, I'd be out working in the yard with them. And we lived on on Stonegate at that time. And there's a lot of through traffic and we'd always wave at people. And one day one of my daughters said that, wow, dad, you know, everybody, don't you? And I said, well, I really don't know him, but I just wanted to know that I see him. And you know what? We got to know a lot of our neighbors just by being out, out on the front porch, if you will. And I think that's something that we're really um, missing today. And that's something that the neighborhood groups in the East Bluff, the homeowners associations throughout the district have really done a great job in building that camaraderie again and building that sense of community. Um, our, our good friend Lawrence Mershad that um, ran in the primary with Gail and myself, he and his wife, they have such a commitment to the neighborhood and they are such a strong voice for the, the things happening. You know what? In the years that I've been councilman, when I came on council, that was right in the 2008, 2009 financial crisis. So the budget was just decimated that year because of things totally out of our control, not unlike what we experienced last year. So there's a big difference between um, cutting positions and not filling vacancies. We have such a commitment on the council and personally to, to maintain that safety. I mean, for crying out loud with five kids, I've got a vested interest in making sure that my neighborhood's safe as well as the neighborhoods throughout the district. Thank you, Chris. Okay. Uh, before we dive into, into any more of these issues, I, I do want to do want to clarify some of that on, uh, on on the positions that we're talking about and follow up with you for a second, Tim. You're, you're saying that that not all of the the cuts in public safety that have been made were were actual employees who were employed at the time. Some of these were, were for for lack of a better term, paper positions, a, a vacancy that was held open, a job that was budgeted for but was not filled. How, how yes. many are we talking? How many are we talking there? When we look at what was just done recently, you know, I can't tell you that it was 10 or 12, but uh, it was in, in that vicinity and the police department in particular, we are constantly out there um, recruiting new officers because the training process is quite extensive to get them onto the streets. So we, we are always looking for, you know, new, new recruits, if you will. And in fact, I'll take a quick sidebar, if I may. Um, this past year in 2020, when we brought some new officers on in the spring, they weren't able to get into the academy until fall. So they worked in community development for a few months. And that way they were able to get out to the neighborhood, get to know folks on a different level level without a badge. They were able to see some of the challenges that are happening in the neighborhood. And then when they got sworn in later in the year, they had a whole different understanding. So a lot, uh, particularly in police, fire, not so much, but with the early retirement incentive, there weren't people that were laid off. There were vacancies that were not filled. Chris, Mark, could I possibly address this safety ab issue? Ab absolutely. Or if you, if you want to, if you want to talk okay. about the, 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 okay. the vacant 
positions versus versus active positions. And and I'm going to dive much more into into public safety as we move on here. Well, it just <clears throat> actually, I really just wanted to, um, you know, since since we actually have to to settle on one, I, I've actually done some polling this time around as far as the campaign is concerned. And there really are two issues that kind of are almost equal in terms of the response from people that we've talked to. And but one of them most definitely is public safety. So one of the primary issues as far as people, and I can only speak for from a polling standpoint, uh, as far people of the third district is public safety. And and you know there's I mean, we can talk a little bit about, okay, so which positions were actually filled, which were vacant, which maybe just became vacant. But the bottom line is, is with respect to police and fire, their, their number of positions, number of officers, number of firefighters has been reduced significantly over this 12 year time period. I mean, there is a reason why I've been endorsed by the Peoria Police Benevolent Association and by the Peoria Firefighters. And it's not because I don't support public safety. It's because they are very concerned, not just, of course, with respect to Councilman Riggenbach's position about public safety, but they're concerned about other members of the council as well. And 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 I guess one of the things I mean, just last week, um, and again, we want to quibble about which ones are were open, what have you. But just last week, Tim, on on Rogers Radio Show, you stated that you want to look at further reductions in fire. Now you didn't say police, but you said you wanted to look at further reductions in fire. So. Now, maybe that's some open positions, maybe that's filled positions, I don't know. But I just wanted to reiterate that, that the primary issue that I'm getting from people is public safety. The other one that is almost exactly right on target is taxes and fees. Tim, do you have a response to that? Uh, if not, I wanna, wanna dive into to some other, other questions here. Let's get right to your questions because there'll be plenty of time for give and take. Okay, I, all right, and and I suspect we're going to have some of it here, as you you both are aware, and many of our viewers in the third district are. Uh, Gail has has sent around a a mailer, and if you turn on the radio in the mornings, you'll hear three times during your breakfast during the mornings a, a radio ad uh, that, that points out uh, some of your votes on on taxes and fees over the course of the last three terms. Uh, and I, I think uh, Matt, who's doing our production here, may have a, a copy of that mailer uh, that, that he can throw up on the screen briefly for everybody. Uh, it says, Tim Brigenbach has voted to increase taxes and fees 10 times. It cites, among others, property tax, sales tax, gas tax, hotel motel tax, amusement tax among the taxes. So Tim, I want to ask you first, what is that all about? And you know, why did you vote to, to support 
a number of those. I, I know many of those uh, came during a, a 2015 vote uh, that, that was taken on a, a budget package in November and December of 2015. Uh, but but explain to me why why it was that that you voted to do that. And we're just talking taxes now. We're going to talk fees separately in a couple of minutes. Well, I think I answered that question every time we voted on it. I'm out in the neighborhood. I've maintained an air of transparency in everything that I do. And I didn't vote for any of these things without talking to the folks in the district who pay it, just like I do. I mean, when you look at some of these, I mean, I'd like a little clarification from Ms. Thetford on what she's talking about, but um, hotel motel taxes, that was a very strategic um, dive that that would affect the people that are coming into town for conventions and visitors. Uh, the Visitors Bureau, it's something we worked with with the PCAB to make sure that we weren't out of line. It's it's a high rate, but you know what? It doesn't affect the people who live here. Um, there's a, a, a number of things here that were directly attached to um, roads. When the property taxes, for instance, in 2015, when that was raised, that's raised about $3 million a year for, for roads. So that's something that um, I think if you continue polling, um, you'll hear that, that that's also a very important issue for folks, maintaining the infrastructure. Um, I guess probably the reason this is this piece came out with such sting is, you know, because this time we have two candidates with records and we'll definitely be talking about Ms. Thetford's record as councilwoman as well. And some of the development projects that she's voted for have caused some of the financial woes that we're in today. So um, I, I can go through each one and explain it, but I don't think that's really, this isn't the best use of our time because I've explained it on the street when we voted on it. And I've explained it through the years as people talk to me about it. Well, and, and, and by my count, uh, the, the gas tax, the property tax, and the amusement tax, at least, and, and I believe some of the sales tax, but I'm open to correction on that, uh, did did deal with the, the road-related question. So I, I, I want to know, are, are we now spending enough on our roads or, or bringing in enough local funds on the roads to address the problems with them that, that we need to be able to address within the district? We definitely are on the right trajectory, if you will. And if you look at something that Mike Rogers, our um, former public works director brought to us was the pavement condition index, the PCI. This is something that we've done three times now. So we're starting to have a, a, a record of which streets need the improvements and how much um, the sub, you know, it doesn't just look at the surface, but it also includes the substructure of it as well. And now we've incorporated the traffic count aspect to it as well, so that we're able to actually get the streets with the most traffic and the most need. There's still work to be done, don't get me wrong, but putting that extra eight, nine million bucks a year in it certainly is helping us get in the right shape from where we were when I came onto the council. 
Okay. And, and Gail, I want to ask you in, in response to that, you know, I obviously you, you feel that, that those tax votes are, are something that, that voters should know about. Uh, I, I don't want to assume. So let me ask you, number one, since this was widely talked about back in 2015 with regard to those, those three or four of the taxes for roads, you know, it was talked about over a, a three month stretch during the course of the, the budget discussion then, would you have voted similarly to bring in that money for the express purpose of using it to repair more road infrastructure in the city? Well, and again, I'll, well, first of all, I want to thank you for putting up my mailer. That was very kind of you. So, um, <laughs> I, I, well, we, we got to give people some context on, that, on just, it. that just, that had just expanded the distribution, if you will. So, and, um, it's, it's kind of interesting that my mailer has sort of become the topic here. So let me kind of explain why I did that mailer in the first place. So Tim has been, we've all been doing mailers. You guys have probably seen so many darn mailers in your mailboxes, you can't even imagine it. So Tim's mailers provide information and, and say, always say something along the lines of, I'm proud uh, of my record my record speaks for itself. So I decided that, you know, maybe, maybe it's important that the people of the third district know at least some aspects of his record that I don't think were necessarily terrific. So that's, that's what prompted that in the mailer. Okay. It's nothing about Tim as a person, nothing about the fabulous family that he has, <laughs> which he does, okay? This is about his record. And we, Tim we, we, we'll, certainly, we'll, we'll call it a contrast mailer okay. rather than an attack mailer. That, you, that's you fine. Can, yeah, but. yeah. I'm like, you know what? If we want to talk about attack mailers, uh, this is not the race that, that we should be using that term in. So that's neither here nor there. So... To, to the question. You know what? I'm not, the, the thing is, kind of like Tim, I'm not really going to get into a, a tax by tax by fee discussion. Um, I could maybe talk about the stormwater tax a little bit and why the heck that's something that we've been dealing with for 40 years, all of a sudden in 2019 had to be addressed. But, 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 I can the address point is, but, but, but the point is, We've got different philosophies here. You know, my philosophy actually always was that the last thing we do is impose a tax, raise the property tax, or impose a fee. That's the last thing. That's the last thing. I did implement one fee while I was on the city council before, the, the, the garbage fee. I did. So reluctantly, I can't even begin to tell you. And people ran against me and other people on the council because we imposed that saying they were gonna get rid of that damn fee. Well, guess what? That fee didn't go anywhere. It got bigger and bigger and now it's on the property tax bill. So other than that, as I to said- the, To the question, to, to the question though, Gail, about, about that package of, of multiple taxes, that, that related no. to the road. Okay. The question that the answer is probably not. I probably would not have have supported that 
huge package of taxes that were put on the backs of Peoria taxpayers and people of the third district. I probably would not, or I at least would have spent an incredible amount of time trying to figure out if there wasn't some other you know, grant money or some other avenue of funding to accomplish those road repairs, for instance, or other things that we needed to do. When I was on the council before, we used to get all kinds of grants and funds for very specific projects, especially if we're not talking ongoing operations, but if we're talking capital improvement projects, we used to get them all the time. And, and you know, and if the city had some grant writers now, uh, maybe they could actually at least file for some of those things. Okay. So, where, where, where are we missing? Where are we missing the boat on on applying for some of those infrastructure grants now? Then, I, well, I, if we don't have anybody to file for them, Chris, I would say we're missing the boat that way. I'm sitting on the Illinois Central College Board right now. We talked about that earlier. We're poised. We are probably very close to obtaining a 25 to $30 million grant. Yeah, we had to apply for it. We did, but we're probably going to get it. I sit on Heartland Health Services Board. We just had to give back to the state almost a million dollars because we couldn't in good faith utilize those funds for the specific purpose over the over the grant time period. So people who say there aren't other ways, there aren't other funds, there aren't other ways, maybe sometimes that's true. But I'm not convinced that there's much of an effort on the part of the city to do much more than impose a tax or add a fee right now. Well, let me jump in and say you're obviously not paying attention then. The project on North University from Pioneer Park to Town Line Road was a specific economic opportunity grant we got from the federal government because we applied for it. Good. Good. The Catherine Murphy, who heads up our grant writing department and community development, and yes, we do have grant writers. She is renowned and has spoken at national conferences about best practices. We apply for grants all the time, Gail. That is such a ridiculous thing to say. City government is so different than education and health care that there, there's just no comparison. Perhaps, perhaps being away from the horseshoe all those years, you, you forgot that it, you, you just don't have an endowment fund giving money to the city. You have that for education, you have that for healthcare, but for city dollars, we work for it. We've, we've applied for multiple grants and we've, I, I can tell you a handful of them in the East Bluff even, the, the Attorney General grant. Um, that was a, a lawsuit that Lisa Madigan had against some of the big banks, again, because of the financial crisis in 2008. And we were awarded three million bucks, but you know what? Municipalities can't get a lot of grants. So we had to partner with LISC and PCCEO to be the fiduciary on those. So there's there's grant opportunities out there, absolutely, but oftentimes you've got to partner with people. And fortunately, we had excellent partners with the AGG and that 
$3 million grant expounded into about $9 million in investment. But to say the city's not taking advantage of grant opportunities, that's just insulting to Catherine and that whole team. Well, I was told by one individual council member that the city was apprised of a 25 to $30 million grant opportunity that they didn't do anything about. Well, so I'd like to know I'll, what I'll grant have to, I'll have to I'll have to come up with the name of that grant and 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 maybe do a little more looking into that matter. And that's and great if you are getting some grants. That's great. I'm glad. Okay, let's, Thank let's, you. Let, let's let's move on. I want to want to talk about the stormwater fee because you you rolled it out there, Gail, as a, a question on on why we're spending this money now on on the the stormwater project. Um, so I, I explain what what your your particular issue is with with this finally after after four decades coming to a, a denouement of some kind and and having a, a resolution. What what's specifically the the concern with that that we've had to apply a, a fee to pay for this? We we've known for forty years that we were going to have to pay for a fix, right? Yeah, and and of course timing is everything. So. Um, for various reasons, apparently Mayors Carver, Maloof, Greaves, and Ransburg uh, didn't feel like it was imperative to tax Peorians uh, for that fee at, because they were certainly presented with that issue during their various tenures. Uh, in 2019, our sales tax was going down. Uh, this was pre-pandemic, so not all of the problems of the city are post-pandemic. Some of them were pre-pandemic. So, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, maybe Councilman Regenbach can share with us why, um, why the administration, why a majority of the council, why he felt that, that, uh, that in, in a budget crunch situation with sales tax revenue going down, um, that it was absolutely imperative at that time to uh, impose that stormwater fee that now, of course, has now effective January 1st gone up another dollar. So, I again, guess my as he said, I wasn't, go on, I'm sorry, I just, Tim, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. I'll be quiet. I thought you were done. Sorry. sorry. It's okay. No, I'm done. I'm done. Sorry. I guess the real question is knowing that the EPA sued us, as Chris said, 40 some years ago why those previous councils weren't preparing for it. Why th that that original estimate from the EPA was like a $250 million fix. And, and we've had all these councils, including the eight years you were there, and this issue was just ignored and pushed aside and said, oh, well, we'll worry about that later. I mean, I think, I think we deserve a, recognition of courage and that we actually put together a working group that was led with, that had business leaders it had labor representatives it had nonprofits in it it was called the one water commission and they met repeatedly looking at at options on what the edict could potentially be from the epa and how to fix it um I remember when that pre report was presented, it 
it didn't have a rainbow on it or anything, but it was a very nice cover to it. And it was called One Water. It had raindrops or something. And Councilman Spain, now our state representative, said he would prefer that having a skull and crossbone on it because it was an example of a federal overreach again, another unfunded mandate from one of our, excuse me, our, our, our other government agencies. The EPA wanted us to put in a pipe from Abington down to Dar Street. It would have been, it would have employed some German manufacturing company that would actually do the work. And the city said, no, we said, no, we want to look at a green solution. You're the environmental protection agency. Let's be creative. Let's do something to protect the environment. The fact that this hasn't been addressed for 35 years before I came around, that's, I'm not going to cast stones at that, but I certainly think having the courage to say, this is what the EPA is forcing us to do. And we did get them to sign off on this green solution. So you're going to see more streets looking like Sheridan Road south of McClure with the, the, the parking lane being pervious pavers. Instead of a poured concrete media, there'll be a rock garden or, or a rain garden at that corner. And it, our soil in this town, the, the experts say it's the perfect, perfect, perfect storms, probably not the right word to use, talking about rainwater, but um, it, it, this is an ideal situation. So we've got that, that we've got that to pay for. And then there's all these stormwater issues throughout the neighborhoods that, that have been ignored for years. So we're actually making grants available to homeowners. I met with a lady last weekend, um, just across from Enol Air, and she gets her, her backyard gets flooded. And we made her aware about this, this um, private property. There, there, there's all kinds of ways that we're using the stormwater thing to help the residents, because this is a problem that just drive down, sorry, I, I get a little worked up, but drive down Knoxville in front of Children's Home or or on North University down by Dixon's when it's a rainstorm and tell me there aren't issues. Those, those aren't things that happened in the last 12 years. Those are things that have happened and been happening for years. Uh, I, I, again, I am a big believer in, in fiscal responsibility. And I, I'm hearing Ms. Thetford say she doesn't want to raise any taxes or fees, but she also doesn't want to make any cuts. So I, I, unless there's some grant out there in heaven that we haven't applied for yet, um, I'd like to know how you're going to balance the budget. Cities, we don't have, you know, ask Mitch McConnell, we can't declare bankruptcy. So that's not an option for us. So um, I wouldn't characterize raising taxes and imposing fees as courage. I'm sorry. Um, and I, I think that I, I, and I think that every time you 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 have to address a problem, if if you move in the direction of raising taxes or imposing fees without 
thoroughly examining other options. And that appears to be the trajectory that's been happening. And I get, I mean, there were stormwater issues when I was on the council and we used to address them individually within given neighborhoods or what have you. It's not like we weren't doing anything. And, and I can't tell you how many people and businesses in particular that are, that hate this fee and these fees, so many of them are regressive in nature in that they actually have a greater impact on those individuals who have much lower incomes. I mean, these are the kinds of fees, um, it's, it's hard for me to believe that I actually hearken back, but I, I remember former Councilman Sandberg talking about the regressive nature of fees and, and, and how the impact is much greater and, and how that we have to take that into consideration when we think about imposing fees. So again, I think it, it's, we have a different philosophy of addressing issues. Now that's not to say that there might be a given circumstance in which if Councilman Riggenbach and I were on the council together, we might actually agree on something, an issue, but I'm not so sure it would be in the area of taxes and fees, okay? I'm just, again, I just don't think it would be there. I want to ask both of you, both of you, your, your, how you would deal with the question of our pension obligation for police and firefighters. And I, I want to try to frame this so it doesn't simply become a, a debate over, over just the fee, but the, the reality is going forward we have an additional two million dollars on top of our existing obligation that, that is, is being added on as part of the requirement to come up to a, a 90 percent funded by 2040 on those the city council voted a couple of years ago to impose a, a public safety pension fee that's spread out over over parcels across the city not not only including individual homes, but also not-for-profits that otherwise wouldn't necessarily have to have to pay costs for those services they use. That's set to sunset. Voters have on the ballot the an advisory referendum on whether to apply a tax instead of a fee, which is a tax by any other name, uh, to pay those things. First Gail and then Tim. How would you come up with the additional money that's required? You can't run to Springfield. They're not fixing it this year. How are you going to come up with the money to replace the sunsetting public safety pension fee and pay in the new $2 million that, that we're going to have to put into next year's budget? How are you going to do that for the first budget you will vote on as a council person? Well, Chris, this is the second time in a forum that you've told me from the get-go that we can't run to Springfield. <laughs> and, and, and that's because Springfield has shown no, the, no indication that, that, that and, they're addressing it this year. And both Councilman Riggenbach and I agreed, as I recall, 
that you can't automatically take that off the books. Okay. Okay. Let, let, I'm let, pretty let, sure let, I remember. And Mark, you can, you can, maybe you remember that. Okay. So I'll you're, start you're, first. You're, you're, you're a lawyer, Gail. So we'll stipulate. We all want Springfield <laughs> to solve this, but yeah. without a hearing on a bill going into April, let, let's be realistic about it, please. Well, you know, and, and again, you know, I'll just say a couple words about that with all due respect. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so Springfield has, you know, has developed the parameters of these pensions. Mm -hmm. So to say that they couldn't do a couple of things, step up to the plate and and uh, and help with a little bit of that unfunded mandate would be an understatement because they could. They most definitely could. And they could also push out the, the, the time frame, or they could change the percentage of how much, because it, to some extent it's arbitrary as to the percentage that has to be funded by a certain date. So, so to give Springfield a pass, which we do in so many other ways, um, with respect to so many other unfunded, unfunded mandates, excuse me, is unfair. And the other thing that's unfair, well, first of all, if those two questions on the ballot aren't defeated in a resounding way, I will be astonished. I will be very astonished. So, you, so what that means is there's a really good chance that you have the people of Peoria saying, we don't care how you figure it out, guys. But you figure it out and don't give us that tax again or don't raise it or whatever. But again, we won't know that until April 6th. And I have to tell you, and I've, I've talked about this in other forums before, it's kind of like you throw up the, the whole pension issue and and you act and, and you start you start to frame the city is starting to frame their their fiscal problem around pensions and 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 particularly with respect to police and fire and so it's it's like police and fire have become the reason that the city of Peoria has no reserves the reason that they have had to impose all these taxes and fees and and it's just i don't remember it being this this way when I served on the council before. So guess what? I would not reimpose a public pension tax. I think that we have got to, um, we've got to start doing some other things. We've got to start being more business friendly. We've got COVID relief money coming. Yes, I know we can't use it for the pensions, okay? But we can use it for a lot of other things that we need to spend money on. And we can move some of those funds to address some of the pension woe. Um, there's a good chance that in addition to the 45 to 46 million that's going to be dropped in the city's lap over the next, I, I think I heard people say year, that there's some additional COVID relief-like funds coming down the pike even after that. All you have to do is read the newspaper and at least you see that those things are being proposed. So other things are happening too. 
as we come out of this pandemic, more businesses are going to open up. So the, the overall fiscal stature of the city is going to improve. If it doesn't, we're in deeper trouble than just figuring out what to do with the pensions, by the way. But it looks as if it's going the overall financial stature of the city is going to improve. So if I'm elected and I'm on the city council, am I going to vote to reinstate to whatever this, this public pension fee? No. Am I going to, can I tell you exactly today how we're going to figure that all out? No, because I don't know exactly when that vote comes, what our overall fiscal situation is going to be how we're going to allocate those COVID funds, where we're going to be able to release some funds. No, because that's kind of a hypothetical that I can't tell you exactly, you know, what sort of situation we're going to be in. But I really am, you know, and, and I can't tell you, I hear all these people, including Councilman Riggenbach, talk about public safety and how important it is and then beat up the fire department and beat up the police department by by getting rid of positions. I, there's there's some disconnect here that I'm that I'm having a lot of trouble with during this campaign. Real quick, Gail, if, I can, if I can interject real quick, and then we'll, we'll definitely want to bring Reagan back in to answer the question. But earlier you mentioned, just for context, you mentioned that the fees and the taxes are affecting the the, I forgot you said you talked to somebody and they said they're affecting the lower income folks. Well, a lot of these fees and taxes are going to homeowners. A lot of your, your lower income folks don't own homes, though, uh, just for context. But then on top of that, I liken the city government and the budget to just basically in-house. You know, after a while, if you own a home or if, you, if you're running a home, mm-hmm. you, if you need some additional funds, you try cutting the cable. You might get rid of the Netflix. You might tighten the belt on the on the on the type of food that you eat and maybe the clothes that you buy. But then at a certain point, you got to eventually go get a second job if that's what's required. So with respect to the city, how do we not cut and not go get other funds and still move forward in your view? Well, and again, it looks like they've already pretty much cut about as much as they can. So my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that currently the budget is is uh, you know that there aren't issues in the budget. In fact, with the uh, addition of the COVID funds, there's thought that there's not even going to be a need to borrow 10 million that previously was discussed. So, and while you're right about the fact that you know individuals that that rent don't necessarily have to pay these taxes and fees. You know, we have a lot of of, um, homeowners who have, you know, moderate homes, you know, moderate homes in the East Bluff, moderate homes in Averyville. Um, You know, they are having to pay all of these fees. And, And to some extent, as I said, it tends to be regressive because it has a bigger impact on their incomes than people who are making, you know, more annually as far as their income is concerned. Is there maybe- It's not good for anybody, Mark. (laughs) Maybe what I'm trying to get at is maybe there's some line items that we haven't discussed that you would maybe draw a line through as far as cuts that we might have not discussed. Um, 
And I, if so, I just want to know what those things are. But like I mentioned, related to the house, I mean, you can cut the uh, extracurriculars, you can cut the expensive bottle of wine, you can cut this, you can cut that. But eventually you got to get a job, uh, a second job or figure out another way of income. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious as to what that income would be in your view. And again, I, I'm, I'm certainly not here today to talk about any additional cuts as far as, particularly as far as staffing and the city is concerned, because I, I don't think that that's, I mean, I don't think that's the direction that people want to go. I mean, you don't see, I've, I've said this and you don't see other municipalities raising taxes and imposing fees and cutting programs and services at the same time. That's, I mean, that you you don't see that. So that's what Peoria is doing. And and somehow we've got to stop that trajectory. So I'm sorry if I haven't answered your question, Mark. And that's OK, but I'm just saying those other cities that aren't doing that, that also for context, we'd have to look at their tax base and see what they're working with. Because if I mean, again, you know, you, you see people that have half a million dollar households and they're not cutting anything. You know what I mean? If we're not that half a million dollar household with uh, respect to government budgets and things like that, I'm just trying to figure out what line items Tim Regenbach already mentioned um, and you as well, too, just figuring out what we could do with grants. And I, I, I by all means, don't work at the city, so I can't tell you what's going on. <laughs> but if if we're cutting where we need to, or if we are bringing in the taxes and imposing the fees because we have to, and there's no grants available, you or, uh, you know, Gail or Regenbach, either one of you guys can answer. I'm just curious. And I'm sure the people watching would be curious too. What do we do? Or are we at a state and, and are we in a moment in time in pure where we just got to keep on pushing? There are no answers. Cause I'm open to hearing that as well too. Are there some issues that we're facing financially and fiscally that, we just don't have answers to and that we're just going to have to wait it out and see what happens or, or what? I don't know. I mean, I, I one of the things, I mean, I don't really feel like there's a, a great vision right now as far as the city is concerned for expanding its tax base. Um, I mean, first and foremost, you know, we have to, we have to support the existing tax base. We have a lot of businesses that have closed. Some of them are struggling. Um, you have, you know, Peoria Heights, I think, has given most of their business as four to five thousand dollars to kind of help lift them up during this pandemic. That might be too much to ask for Peoria and the number of businesses that we have. I know we've been giving some assistance um, and, and, and to the extent we have, that's great. Perhaps we need to do more. But but, uh, you know, we have we have Peoria actually has a lot of has a lot of wonderful assets that I, I don't think that we're capitalizing on to try to uh, increase revenue. As I previously said, I do think that the overall revenue picture is going to improve for the city, you know, as we hopefully get post pandemic. Um, I mean, I think we're seeing a little bit of that. I don't think the city, my understanding is the city wasn't hurt quite as badly as it expected with respect to sales tax revenue during the pandemic, which is good. Um, and that, um, but, that, but that's we have the Amazon tax, sir. <laughs> okay. so we can finally, we can finally collect the Amazon taxes. Oh, right? well, that's helpful. But again, we have, 
I think that we need some vision. We need to we need to capitalize on uh, the affordable. We just had an article in the you know the Journal Star just had an article in the paper about people moving from North Carolina to Peoria because of the the wonderful housing and how affordable it was. You know now that people are working so remotely uh, and probably to some extent going to continue to do that. Maybe we need to kind of tout that the the affordability of our housing of our housing stock as as a way to increase our you know our property tax base. That's not our business. Um, I'm I don't feel I think we could do some partnerships with the Port Authority as some other cities have done. I mean I don't want to go into like I just think that there's a lack of vision that there's a lack of research into opportunities to expand our tax base, to, to do a better job perhaps of, um, of attracting businesses that can complement the incredible healthcare industry that we have here in Peoria. You know, I'm not sitting here thinking necessarily that there's some big, huge company that's going to come into Peoria and offer tons of jobs and, and generate significant sales tax revenue or what have you. That would be wonderful if that would happen, but it's probably going to be incremental things that we do in a number of areas, but any or all of that that we do is an improvement over just automatically imposing a fee or raising taxes. I mean, my, well, I'll stop. The work from home, home, that's a new one. I haven't heard that one just yet, but maybe it could take some exploration. Councilman, I'll let you get back to Chris's question, but I appreciate that time and I appreciate the, um, that feedback. Maybe we do need to get the five minute timer out, Chris. Huh? I'm sorry. I that probably should be looking at it. I apologize. Hey, my, 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 my question was probably close to five minutes at the beginning, so. <laughs> One thing I'll have to do a shout out to my daughter, Amanda. She wrote an article for Peoria Magazine last summer specifically about that work from home aspect. And um, that was her internship with the um, GPEDC actually was um, targeting those people that are working from home who never have. And in fact, you see me in my basement here. Um, this is where my office has been for the last 380 days. But um, there was a lot of things that were brought up there that that needs some um, clarity, I think. First of all, when you sit around the horseshoe, you can't deal in hypotheticals. I, I can't say, well, I want to think about it a little more and, and, and Gail, we're losing you. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Um, I just move? <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it, it's, we have, we have to make those decisions and, and they are clear cut. Um, this $46 million we have coming is going to be a, a, a huge godsend, obviously, but with the cuts we were making, we were expecting about $50 million in, in a shortfall. It ended up being a bit less than that. So we are not going to borrow the $10 million. So that, that, that brings that down to thirty-six, And then council has directed the city manager to, to have a policy session, and that'll be um, coming up in May, once we know who the new mayor and everybody, all the players are, um, because there's there's a lot to be said. Um, as far as support for business, 
This year alone in 2021, the city of Peoria has given over a million dollars in grants to small businesses. So to say we're not supporting our small businesses is, is ludicrous. We've also cut the um, fees. <laughs> We've cut them, Gail, um, for the liquor licenses and the amusement, the, the video gaming thing, um, because we know a lot of those bars and restaurants were shut down for, for a lot of last year. So so we've cut that. We're acknowledging the reality of what their um, situation has been. Um, 2021, the city's pension obligation was $26 million. That's how much we put in. In 2025, that's going to mandate by, by state law to meet this 2040 mandate will go up to 35 million. So that's a $9 million increase in the next four years that we have to have to fund. Um, I, I, I cannot say I'm going to ignore Springfield on this because that has been the biggest driver of this. We want our police and firemen out on the streets doing their jobs, but this, this pension obligation is, is what's strangling us. It's not the men and women out there doing the work. It's what's happening in Springfield. And just, just by pushing that 2040 date back or making that 90%, 75%, that would give us so much breathing room. I, I'm going down the path you didn't want, Chris, but if I may, just for a quick sidebar, we do have a new speaker in the house and our own Jahan Gordon Booth has a new leadership role as well. So we know she's always advocating for us. And it, it, it's, it's a stretch and it's, it's April already, call it, you know, so that's, it's unlikely. So, so, so what do we do? Because we, we, we've got these numbers facing us. Um, I was a kid when Ronald Reagan was president, but I thought he was the greatest and he put together a blue ribbon commission with Alan Greenspan chairing it to deal with the social security crisis. It was circa 1983 and they put a lot of things in place. For instance, my dad could retire at 65. I have to wait till 67 to get my full retirement benefit. If you retire earlier, you can take it, but you'll get a haircut. And there's lots of nuances like that. What I'm saying is when you put the best and the brightest in a room together, they might see things through a lens that those of us um, who have been looking at this, you know, since between Gail and me, we've been looking at this since the 90s. Um, let, let, let's, let's get some fresh eyes on it. Let's see what the business community has to say. I've talked about this and my, my colleagues are probably going to vote yes in exasperation, but we, ne we need to have, a I, I like to say, a Blue Ribbon Commission talking about the services that the city provides. What is the acceptable level? Uh, when, when, when we had the PDC contract the, for garbage removal come up a couple years ago, we had, we had public meetings. We went to the neighborhood, the homeowners associations, and said, what do you want? You know, what do you want? They wanted more recycling. We got twice a month recycling. They wanted an expanded landscape um, pickup. We expanded that into December and already started here in March. But you know what? There, there's costs associated with it. And when you're honest with the folks, when you tell them this is this is what we have now and this is what it costs, if you want more, that's fine. But th this is the reality. So 
to, to say, I, I raised these fees that put it in context, put it in the context of the discussion that I had with the people who are paying those fees. And, and then beyond that, the, a, a group of business and labor and neighborhood folks out there to actually talk about this stuff. Because looking at the mandates we have, whether it's the CSO from the federal government or the pensions from the state, there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room between those two. But if we get those folks talking about it, it's going to be amazing, I think, what, what we can come up with. Expanding the tax base, it's such an essential thing for us to do, to, to do what we can to get those high-paying jobs. I think OSF is everybody's hero in town right now with the commitment that they've shown and Unity Point. Um, they, they're, together, they're really making us a medical mecca. And a lot of folks say that the cancer Comprehensive Cancer Center coming in, it's going to rival Mayo Clinic and that folks are not going to have to go up there. They'll just go to downtown Peoria. So think what that will do for the hotels. Think what that'll do for the restaurants and the small businesses, the moms and dads out there. So I think I, I, I appreciate um, Gail agreeing that, you know, things things are looking up. We, we've we've had an incredible year here, a year that nobody would imagine. Um, but when you look at the, the national numbers and that's what I, I I'm a financial advisor at Merrill during the day. So I have to look at this stuff from a different lens as well. Um, we, we've got the potential coming up here to start to see some of those um, revenue streams come back. If we can get the Civic Center open here later in the fall, um, maybe they could pick up where they left off with a full house and get some folks in all of our <clears throat> hotels and restaurants again. Okay. Uh, so I am. Uh, oh, go ahead, Gail. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, uh, you know, I appreciate the fact that you've thanked me. I'm, I'm not necessarily giving the city a lot of credit for the fact that things are going to be looking up. So I think things are going to be looking up because we're going to be a little more, maybe not post pandemic, but like moving, you know, moving closer to post pandemic. But, you know, when we talk, I, I think, you, you know, a, a sort of a flip side question, if you will, of this whole, what are we going to do about the pension stuff, which, which, you know, some things have been done. For instance, you know, new firefighters come in on a different tier as far as pension is concerned. And as a result, the pension cost for the newer firefighters is, is substantially less as far as the city's obligation is concerned. So there has been some reform that that is going to assist certainly not just Peoria, but other municipalities. But but I think the the real flip question of this is do 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 people on the council, do, does Councilman Rickenbach think that that the answer to addressing this pension fee issue is a continued reduction of police and fire? I mean, I think that's the flip side question, the, the flip of that, because that seems to be, at least to some extent, 
you know, the the answer, if you will, that, you know, a majority of the council has supported, including Councilman Regenbach. Frame that question again. So <laughs> I, I guess that we come right out and say, are you are you going to continue to support reduction of police and fire positions because of these pension obligations? I would say absolutely not. That is not the solution to the problem. The problem is reforming the pension system. And that um, has also been addressed with the consolidation bill that was passed by the General Assembly a year ago. It used to be that every city in the state, Decatur, Springfield, um, Peoria, Rockford, we had our own separate police and fire pension fund and board. And speaking as a financial advisor, I can tell you by having these funds pooled together, your opportunities are much greater. What the problem is, again, the way our hands are tied, the state would mandate that if you're in a 40-60 or 60-40 split, that you only have so much stock and that you have so much fixed income. Anybody who deals in the financial industry knows that needs to be a fluid number depending on, on, on the environment. And that's why you have professionals to do that. So I'm not going to, I'm not balancing, I'm not blaming the police and firefighters for this. I'm blaming Springfield for this and telling them that we need to work together to do it because we are committed to maintaining those levels that our community expects. And, and to put it in those terms is a little bit disingenuous because, again, the reality is there are expenses that we, we have to pay and we, we will pay those. Um, I just want to go back to talking about the recovery in the economy and just point out that if this election was taking place in 2020, let's say in February 2020, I remember the council meeting in March, our first council meeting in March of 2020, our budget was balanced, the Civic Center was bursting at the seams, the hotels were full, the restaurants were buzzing, and, and Peoria was the place to be. And it's just crazy to me how events out of our control have changed that. But, but just as that was the sharpest decline in history, the, the converse has also been true, and we've seen just an incredible rebound. So I think um, this budget is going to be a whole different story than what we went through last year when we basically talked about how, how to balance the budget from, from May until we passed it in November. So um, looking at... Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to. I want to. I want to. Want to move us on off of, off of, taxes and and pensions and and everything else in, into economic development. But before I do that, I want to want to encourage people. Chris. I do have one yes. question. I'm All actually right. going to 
I'll go, I can go now if you want me yeah, to. Yeah, no, uh, I, I just wanted to tell people to to start putting some questions in, in the chat because we're going to move on to those soon. But, Mark, yeah. you, you go ahead and ask your question before I throw mine out there. Definitely. Um, well, real quick, Tim, uh, with all due respect, I'm sure you find a lot of people that would refute the fact that January 2020 Peoria was the place to be. I think that's been part of the problem with regards to business and uh, just residential retention. Uh, population decline and everything like that. I think a lot of refute that PR has been the place to be even in the last three to four years. But what I do want to ask, because you mentioned hospitals, you mentioned OSF, and you mentioned uh, Unity Point. So I want to stay with um, money and stay with the medicine for both of you guys. Uh, as you guys already know, Pure Public Schools received more than $800 million from cannabis sales as part of the Restore, Reinvest, and Renew plan. With that being said, uh, being the former whisker capital uh, capital of the world, is cannabis an industry that Peoria should be taking a more aggressive approach on for economic development? Uh, I'll leave it with you, uh, Councilman, and then we can go over to Gail. The state has that very highly regulated at this point. The number of um, cultivation centers is limited, as well as the dispensaries. Now, that's being expanded a bit here as, as things unfold, but I think the council was very, we did what we could to make it as inviting for those um, cultivation centers to, to appear. And um, the there seems to be some growth on the, the, the uh, retail side of it as well. So, you know, that's the state law. The amount of revenue it produces is just crazy. Um, and as long as it's it's legal, um, I, I think we need to be able to embrace that. Yes. So uh, I know you, I know you said that the city has been inviting, but what I'm asking is, should the city take a more aggressive approach for economic development with regard to the cannabis industry, not necessarily just retail sales, but the overall cannabis industry? Should we be more aggressive in that approach for economic? Man, I just heard the very tail end of that with economic. I'm sorry that was kind of garbled. No, it's it's fine. Uh, Wi-Fi. Should we be more aggressive? Should we have an aggressive approach when it comes to the cannabis industry as a whole for economic development? Okay, um, I think we want to be welcoming, and we want to. Um, we don't want to put obstacles up that are unnecessary. But let's be honest: there's still a segment of the population that isn't comfortable with that. So I think while we we want to take down any barriers that might be there at this point, I don't know being how aggressive we would be and how well that would be received throughout the community. All right, thank you, Gail. And and again, I, you know, uh if 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 you're talking about, you know, vision, you know, it seems to me like that should certainly be on the table to be discussed if there's a policy session or some sort of committee that encompassing citizens as well as, you know, council members, the mayor, what have you. I mean, I think that should be explored. I mean, I'm currently on the board of ICC. So we've explored some community colleges have actually, uh, this was a little pre-pandemic. And so things uh, established course, coursework, if you will, so that people could, as students, could capitalize on the on the incredible jobs that are now available in this whole industry. Some schools really establish full-blown curriculums. 
Um, you know, we started, we being Illinois Central College, started on, you know, some coursework along those lines. And then the pandemic, you know, hit and all of a sudden, you know, now we're trying to figure out how to go online and address the educational needs of all kinds of people. So, I, I mean, I think it I think it should be on the table, just like, I, you know, in terms of additional revenue, just like. And, and maybe it's it's not something that the, you know, majority of the citizens of Peoria would accept, but I think we should talk about it, along with talking about what more we could do as far as the river and the Port Authority and 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 um, and promoting, you know, Peoria as a, a work hub for remote, you know, workers and, and other kinds of things. I don't necessarily think any one thing should be off the table. Well, both of you kind of leave you I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. What was that? I don't think I said I was lukewarm. I said, I think I'd like to know more about um, what sort of role the city could play in all of that. I mean, if, if we would embrace it, we should play the same role that we would play if, if we uh, partnered with our healthcare, uh, with our hospitals, to to bring in other, you know, medical related companies or services or what have you. So, okay. and I, I would doubt whether it be called lukewarm. Um, I think we absolutely have seen the growth and and the potential in what it has, but I just say, at this point, we want to open the doors. We don't want to put up any barriers, but until we're able to have those discussions throughout the community, um, you know, whether that's part of our strategic plan in the future, that's definitely something that, that I think will be decided by the next council. Okay. And before we get to audience questions, and I want to let everybody know if you're watching the uh, questions in the comments, one word answers. We, we all spoke about the 40 to $42 million that Pure is supposed to get over the next year. One word answer, what would, what would you like to spend that money on? Tim. And now this is um, my my dream, not my, you, you know, one thing I would love to do. Um, Too many words lighting. over. <laughs> Street lights. Gail? Um, I would like to see us uh, reinstate those lost Police and fire positions. Police fire. Got it. Public safety. It, it, okay. Um, Chris, did you have anything before we go over to um, no, audience? Let, let's let, let's go to audience questions. We can uh, can hit a few more on the backside. Okay. Audience questions are brought to you by RhondaGuidenTravel.com. Only they give you domestic and international travel with a personal touch. Leave all the planning to RGT. That's RhondaGuidenTravel.com. Okay. Questions for the audience. Oh, from the audience, we will start with, there's a lot of comments. We're going to get to the questions. Um, some people have questions for things that you guys have said, but they don't have any context. They're like, so what for? Why? And they're like, what, what are we let talking me, about? 40 let, let, me, let me go ahead and, and start with this one uh, okay. from, from, from Jennifer. Uh, and and this, uh, this appears to be referring to uh, the city and its economic conditions, but the question is, when was it good? What era and why? 
So let, let's start with Gail, since we gave Tim the first crack at the last one. Gail, for the city, when was it good? What era and why? <laughs> well, um, you know, interesting that you should say that. It's like, if you look at my mailer, which you were kind enough to put up, I say, I start one of the sides with, is Peoria better now than 12 years ago? So no, I don't think it is. If we were in a position, uh, <clears throat> between 1997 and 2005 to not raise property taxes for eight years and to reduce property taxes for two of those years, then that was definitely better. Good. Tim, your answer to that. I think that's a loaded question because people always will look back at their childhood or their, their teen years and say, oh, that was so good then. But let's take a look at what we got going on in this community right now. Let's look at the $200 million OSF investment in the Cancer Research Center. Let's look at how this economy is more diversified than ever, whether it's the, the medical field, the role Caterpillar has is obviously different than it was um, back in the 90s, but th they, they still have a presence here. Let's talk about the innovative businesses coming into play here, like natural fiber welding, some of the autonomous um, cars and features like that that are that are coming into play. There's a lot of um, small businesses that are just ready to burst onto the scene. We've got the new incubator downtown that's actually helping to spur that. So yeah, we got our challenges, but I think this is a great time to be in Peoria. Okay. Mark, I'm sorry, I jumped on you there with the questions. You you, you keep rolling with them. I know, I was, I was going to say, no, you're good. Uh, it, it's all good. Um, this question comes from Sherry. She says, seeing how Evanston, Illinois, used some of their cannabis taxes to pay reparations to their African-American citizens, what is your thoughts on that? This is for both candidates. Um, we'll shoot with uh, Councilman. Um, I have not heard what exactly Evanston did. I think the whole way this Cannabis Act came into play um, with, again, our own Johan Gordon Booth playing a pivotal role, there was a lot of um, regard for some of the um, disadvantage and the people who had been um, targeted, perhaps, by the, the war on drugs and the war on cannabis in particular. So I'd love to sit down with Sherry and find out exactly what um, Evanston did. Uh, Gail, do you want to answer that? And if you need a little context, I know a little bit about it, so I can kind of give you guys some context and then you can respond that way. If, if you want to give a little context, that would be great. So it's, I don't know if you want, I'm sorry, do you want me to say something first? I apologize. If, yeah, you, if, if you have a response for that, then that's fine. Well, I mean, with respect to um, usage of those taxes for reparations, um, I mean, I think that that's a, a wonderful use of, of that. Um, I'm curious as to how the, I would like to know a little more information about how the, the cannabis taxes were imposed, who were they imposed on I me. Mean, so to the extent you can flesh that out, Mark, that would be great. Uh, it's limited. But, uh, I've been following it the best way I can uh, as of late. But basically what I understand is they use cannabis taxes to give to to give reparations in the form of um, payments to citizens 
So it, it it was essentially their way of just trying to pay back, as Riggenbach kind of alluded to, trying to pay back to the citizens that were targeted by um, marijuana cases and just disadvantaged in general through um, through governmental practices, uh, social, economic, business practices, and everything like that. So that was their way. I know their reparations became a national topic with, I think that came with Bernie Sanders and maybe one other uh, public figure mentioned that within the last couple of years on the national stage. And Evanston did, uh, took it on upon themselves to figure out how they can work the money to pay back some of the citizens in form of reparations. So with, with that, their with their city share of the taxes, right? Or city share, yes, yes, city share, yeah. Again, I mean, I I think I would like to know more about how that whole tax structure was developed and imposed. Um, this kind of goes back to, I'm you know, if someone talks starts talking about a tax, and it sounds to me like this is a tax that would be imposed on businesses. I would think, but I don't know. Um, I, I would you know, I would want to know more about about how it's set up, the process. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not certain if we're talking about an existing, you know, they had, a, Evanston had a pretty strong existing industry that was open to this sort of tax structure. I mean, I, I, you know, I would just like to know more about their program before I would say, oh, yeah, I think that's great. We should do that. At, and to that was not imposed on businesses. It was just cannabis tax money. Oh, oh, okay. Well, then, well, of course, if that if so, we're not talking about, okay, we're talking about a, an influx of those funds to the city of Evanston. Okay, well, with respect to that, if we're talking about an influx of external funds to the city of Evanston, and using it to pay reparations, I that makes using a, at least a portion of it to pay reparations, I think that's a wonderful idea. Tim, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that I, I we act. It took us two hours, but we found something we agree on, huh? Um, <laughs> the, the sales taxes uh, charged on cannabis sales were dictated by the state. So, if I'm understanding you correctly, Marcus, that that would be using some of those proceeds that are from the existing tax, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that would be a very yeah. intriguing way to go about it. So. Yes. Yeah. Deborah says, uh, "What is what is happening with all the shootings?" And you guys, I, I know you guys wanted to uh, touch on public safety. I think that might be the last question we've gotten. Um, oh yeah, we got one more question from the audience, and then we can address that. Uh, but a couple people mentioned shootings. Anything you guys want to add on that? Well, I mean, I, I've actually had conversations. Well, first of all, we just had yesterday, I believe, another shooting in the in death. Probably more than just one shooting, but we had one death in the East Bluff. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know that I can say what is happening with all of the shootings, but in my, conver in my individual conversations with various police officers, they have asserted to me that there's just not enough officers on the streets, that there, there's not as many officers allocated to individual shifts, 
And that's not just in the East Bluff, that's in other areas of the city as well. So, you know, I'm certainly not saying that Councilman Riggenbach isn't concerned about public safety and shootings and what have you in the East Bluff or elsewhere in the third district. I'm not saying that for one minute, but my position is that there are probably a lot of things we need to do, but it, it's not going to help that overall situation if we, um, if we don't really support public safety and we don't try to reinstate some of those lost positions. I just don't, you know, there's at least a, a greater opportunity for a police officer to be available to possibly prevent some of these situations. You, uh, you certainly can't count on that. It's not always going to happen. But if you don't have as many officers per shift in a given area, there's a greater likelihood these things are going to happen. I can tell you in the last three years, we have taken every slack that we're allotted at the police academy. Our recruiting efforts are higher than ever. So, I mean, these shootings are just such a gut-wrenching thing. And you heard about the one in Colorado. And I mean, it's it, it's it's not just a Peoria thing. I think we definitely need to address it um, square on with the public safety aspect. But let's also look at what the Boys and Girls Club can do and what um, the Law and Order Academy in the East Bluff. How can we get to these young kids before they have a chance to be affected by, by the gang violence? How can we start to shape this next generation. I think, um, you know, it takes a village is such an expression from, from another time. And we, we hear that a lot here locally, thanks to a certain organization. But I think we really need to wrap our arms around each other and, and, and get to those young people sooner than later. Chris, did you have anything else before we go to the lightning round? I, I wanted very briefly to touch on on economic development and, and the question there, uh, because, uh, Gail, you you cite a, a, a business unfriendliness in Peoria and, and the fact that you make mention of, of businesses that we've lost to places like Peoria Heights and East Peoria. And I'd like to know from from you, your plan to address that on the policy level with the city. And Tim, I know you've remarked that on, on some of these issues, you say that we've gotten better over the years in, in reducing some of the red tape and reducing some of the, the fees and other things like that that go with it. I'd like to know from you what what you think the biggest thing is that that's happened in your term and what the next thing is you'll go after. So Gail, let's start with you on that. Okay, um, I would love to say that the city has gotten better, but unfortunately, I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, when I when I've spoken to different businesses, to different developers, you know, they mentioned the fact that in trying to deal with the city, they either threw up their arms and went elsewhere, or um, the city didn't even respond when the city was approached with a proposal. Um, so that's, that's not a step in the right direction. And, you know, it's not, 
it's it's a pretty well-known fact, actually, as far as businesses are concerned, that that Peoria Heights and East Peoria and the 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 city structures there are are much more welcoming to businesses. And I mean, that's most people know that. So that's not that's wrong. That's not good. I'm not going to say that maybe we haven't accomplished some, you know, we haven't attracted some business, but, um, and, and, you know, it, not that long ago in, in, in a, a forum, if you will, in which uh, Councilman Ruckriegel was, was debating Councilman Montalongo, he himself talked about a situation in which all a business wanted was some sort of change in their sign or something along those lines. But the city, you know, was just flat out no way. They wouldn't even entertain it. So um, I, I, I don't think we're necessarily doing a better job, so. Okay, but my, my question to you was in part, what do okay. you think we can do what what would your priority be as as a policymaker on improving that? What what specifically would you go after that we could do better from a policy standpoint? Well, first of all, I mean, I think there would have to, from a policy standpoint, there'd have to be an understanding with the city manager that if if the city of Peoria was approached by a business or a developer, that there would be a requirement to at least have a discussion, and that to some extent that discussion or that proposal needed to be brought to the attention of the entire city council. Okay. And, and Tim, from you, I, I, I want you to explain what, what you think it is that, that we have done better over these last few years, and then what, what the next thing is you think the city can do. The one thing that's really helped the process a lot is the one-stop shop. So anybody that has a project can show up to community development, and they'll have representatives from the various um, departments within the city. They can talk to the zoning expert. They can talk to somebody from building codes. They can talk to um, somebody that will help them understand what's, what's going to be required to begin with. In the last four years, the number of um, codes and um, regulations, we have just consolidated and cut them dramatically. Councilman Sear actually held up a book a couple weeks ago to show the, the distinct difference because of the efforts that this council has made to, to cut that red tape. I would just say that um, there's, there's a lot of things in place like the form districts that were put in place years ago. They really are very restrictive about signage and, and fenestration, the amount of windows you can have and stuff. And that can be very frustrating to folks. I got a lady on Prospect right now that's that's um, dealing with that. And that was actually something that was on our agenda for last year to look at was to how we can help expedite some of those requests so that there isn't as much red tape. But the COVID thing kind of shut that down. So it's on the docket for this year, though, because um, I, I know anecdotally, and um, I would love to know, you can tell me offline if you would, Gail, who this person was that said nobody returned their call. I mean, that's totally unacceptable. And I, I, I just really think that is way beyond 
the standard operating procedure. So that needs to be addressed on a one-on-one -on -one situation because um, believe me, in the years I've been on council and I know Bob Manning talked a lot about this after um, he replaced you, Gail, that, you know, just making our staff aware that the competition across the river or across across the, the way. And I think our staff's gotten better. Um, if there's specific instances where it hasn't been, I'd love to know it. I know Church 214, they're building, um, renovating a building down there by Zion Coffee in the warehouse district. And they've told me personally just how amazing that the city staff has been. So for everyone that we hear that's not working out right, I think there's gonna be those who say that they've had a good experience. Our goal is that everybody has that same experience and we're not there yet, but we are moving that direction. And I, and I just wanna point out that the whole one-stop shop was actually initiated when I previously was on the council. So that's not a new thing. <laughs> and, and- It's been improved, I can tell you that. Okay. Okay. Let, let's let's shift on over now, Mark. You you set for the lightning round. Um, I mean, we could go all night. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had uh, two more audience questions come in, so I just want to address those in real quick, and then um, a, a city uh, manager question. Then we'll we'll head off to the lightning round. Um. Mike Jones uh, addressed earlier when we were on the cutoff of the uh, right before we getting ready to cut off the uh, the um, the audience questions. He asked, "How can we intervene bad parenting? Because that's how a lot of these criminals are being made." Did you, uh, obviously, government can't legislate parenting, but is there anything that you guys have in mind? that you would like to see from a governmental standpoint that we can assist parents, I guess. Obviously you can't legislate people to be good parents, but I think we can give them the tools and whatever tools they need are critical. One of my daughters is teaching at Tree Wind School and she sees things through a different lens than when she went to Ridgewoods. And I think it's important that we realize that the neighborhoods are different, that the needs that the folks have are different. And whether we're working with churches or nonprofits or or, or just people of goodwill, we need to make sure that, that our eyes are out on the neighborhood. Just like the story I told when we would wave to the folks driving by on the street, we need to get to know those folks, because um, it, it really is going to take all of us to get out of this. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes something so, something identified as bad parenting is really a reflection of economic distress and and problems external to the to the actual family relationships. So from a city standpoint, you know, what we can do is, is first and foremost, you know, do our utmost to keep the neighborhoods as safe as possible, partner with, to the extent that we can with social service agencies to, to assist them. We used to years ago, you know, um, identify some community development funds 
that would go to various social service agencies to help provide the kind of supports um, that are needed by many of these families, um, provide some additional funds to some of the schools. And um, we used to give funds to the Center for Prevention of Abuse, for instance, to try to support their effort, efforts to assist families in, in distress. So, um, again, some of this bad parenting is a result of not having, not having, you know, we can, we can support our schools. We can support Illinois Central College to help, to help families, you know, get post-secondary certificates so they don't have to work two minimum wage jobs to try to, to support their family, but instead they can get a family sustaining job and that enables them to be able to spend more time with their family. So, I mean, I think, I think there's support. If there's one word I would say, I would, it would be support. We can support the food pantry, you know, in the East Bluff and, and see that to the greatest extent possible, they have food and supplies and what have you to, to provide to families in distress to assist them. And last, we still do have that CDBG, the community block grant money. We get about a quarter million every year. And it's a very competitive process that the agencies throughout town apply for. So that is ongoing. Yeah. And last question, uh, once again, from Sherry, she says, uh, since the current city manager has been there, 30% of the staffing has been reduced. What is your concern about his leadership? We'll go, Gail. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I, you know, I, I'm concerned about the reduction in staffing, um, and to the extent that that is being that that is 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 primarily coming from the city manager's office, then that then that's a concern to me, because as I either said or alluded to earlier this evening. Um, one of the things I have learned in, in serving on other boards is that, unfortunately, it's one of the first steps or acts that the that administration takes is frequently to reduce staff. I've seen that at ICC in particular, um, as well as seen it on the city. So, um, and, and I'm very disturbed by by a number of the programs and services that have been affected by the reductions in staff. Um, we're not able to do what we need to be doing under the rental registration and inspection program, for instance. So to the extent that, that those things are primarily an outgrowth of the leadership of the city manager, um, I'm very concerned. Councilman. I would say the city manager has just done a yeoman's job. And if you look again, not meaning to always bring back last year as the example, but he presented multiple choices for us. And um, when all of a sudden 25% of your revenues evaporate, um, decisions have to be made, choices have to be made. And he, he presented those to the council and the council um, took some of them, didn't take them all. Um, but I, I think he's done a great job, and I, I have total confidence in Patrick Rick. Sounds good. Sounds good. 
Well, we will head on over to the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by McCall Law Offices, PC, and Holiday McCall, located at 1225 North North Street, where they focus on personal injury, accidents, family law, and criminal defense. Call for a free consultation at 309-377-HELP. Again, that's 309-377-HELP to put their attorneys in your corner. Now, who knows what this lightning round is? You both know? <laughs> you know what? So they have not been watching State of Peoria, Chris. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, so that's terrible. That's terrible. Cut. Cut. Go to commercial. They, 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 they don't have the two hours a week. Yeah, understood. <laughs> understood. Um, so what this is, is relax, add some levy to the whole situation. You got a uh, quick response. So whatever first thing comes to your mind or either or questions. That's where we're at right now. Okay. 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 Um, and I'm going okay. to put... I'm going to put a minute 30. You know what? Let me give you guys a minute 40 just because last week uh, we, we kind of we, we tried to squeeze too much. So a minute 40. And we are going to start with let me make sure my signal is on so you guys can hear the ding and bell. OK, and we'll start with Gail. Are you ready? Uh, I guess. Go back and forth. We're going to go back and forth. You ready? <laughs> sure. Okay. Let's go. Gail, favorite vacation destination? Uh, Gettysburg. Councilman, Fiji or Dasani water? I, you're cutting out on me again. Fiji or Dasani water? What was the first one? Fiji or Dasani water? Dasani. Uh, Gail, favorite thing about Peoria? The riverfront. Councilman, what's your dream car? Gosh, I'm so sorry. I missed that. What's your dream car? I, I didn't hear you. Is my internet? I think I got all my bars. Yeah. <laughs> um, dream car. Oh. Don't laugh. Jeep Wrangler. Okay. Um, Gail, ice cream or cake? Cake. Councilman, Prince or Michael Jackson? Prince. Gail, <laughs> favorite restaurant in District 3? Favorite restaurant in District 3. Ooh, that's hard. Uh, uh, La Hacienda El Mirador. In Junction City. Councilman, greatest athlete of all time. I have to ask you to say that again. Greatest athlete of all time. Michael Jordan. Gail, favorite drink? Favorite drink? Uh, a Cosmopolitan. Councilman, Batman or Superman? Superman. Uh, Gail, uh, Apple or Android? Oh, Apple. Councilman, what activity do you spend too much money on? Uh, what? I missed that. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. What activity do you, what item or activity do you spend too much money on? Whoa. Um, I have five kids. I don't have that luxury. <laughs> When it comes to first, or even there, shoes, whatever. Like, what do you spend too much money on? 
Scotch. Hey, that works. That works. That works. And last question for both of you guys: Who do you endorse for mayor? <laughs> Neither one I'm wants gonna... to go now. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work with whoever's duly elected by the people. And Gail. And so will I. Hey, well, hey. Hey, Chris. We agree on two things. Yes, yes. Chris, <laughs> as expected, um, this has been State of Pure, brought to you by State Farm Agent Aaron Kilgore, located at 3805 North Sterling Avenue, where he specializes in car, home, and life insurance and investments. He's the best in the business, and you can make him work for you by calling 309-685-7111. Gail and Councilman uh, Riggenbach, it's been a good time. I, I had a good time. I appreciate you guys jumping on. Okay. Likewise. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you for, for doing this. Appreciate it very much. Sure thing. Thank, thank you both. Good luck to you. Everybody remember to vote on April 6th or go out an early vote between now and then.